Hello and welcome to episode 113, everybody. This is uh, Jerry Gibson, host of the In Squash podcast. How are you all doing? Uh, know that uh, everyone must be very happy for Tarek Momin winning the World Men's Open this year, uh, the 2019 version, and it was a huge win for him. Uh, he came through the draw, played extremely well throughout the event. I mean, if you watched all his matches, uh, he was on fire from the beginning. Uh, he plays the game uh, unlike any other player out there. His variety of squash, I mean, he's got, as Joey and um, PJ always comment on, the angles that he plays, the speed with which he uh, moves around the court, uh, his ability to retrieve uh, balls. Uh, he's got it all pretty much. Uh, you know, the the one rap against him, I guess, is his... Uh, you know he's prone to making a series of mistakes uh, here and there throughout matches, and that's kept him from uh, from winning these big events. Uh, and ultimately, the platinum events, but this was his first uh, ever platinum win, and it just happened to be the World Open for him. A uh, huge congrats to him, and I guess he and Raneem, I read that uh, yeah they they become the first. Um, husband-wife pairing t uh, to win the world championships on the Pro Tour. Obviously, we have uh, another uh, another uh, prolific husband-wife pairing in Ali Farag and Norel Tayeb. They've won, uh, I think, several events, maybe two or three, I wouldn't say several, but maybe two or three events where they both won uh, the men's and women's version of that event. But uh, Raneem and Tarek become the first husband-wife uh, pairing to win the, the world championship. So congratulations to them and I'm sure we're going to be hearing more from Tarek now the next thing might be uh, to uh, go after that number one ranking he certainly has it within him uh, they're going to be it's going to be an interesting season. I mean, now that uh, even for Paul Cole, Paul Cole played brilliantly uh, throughout this event as well. He had some really tough matches there on the way to the final. And uh, ironically, it was him uh, that came up uh, maybe a bit tired, a little bit, uh, you know, the body wasn't, as he said, wasn't uh, prepared for the what he needed to the way he needed to play in the final there against Tarek. I mean, we, we all know how fit and strong uh, Paul is, but uh, it was uh, his body that uh, that wasn't able to uh, rise to the occasion in the final. Uh, Tarek uh, probably didn't put in as many miles as Paul did on the way to the to the the final match, but uh, at any rate, a huge congratulations to Paul, and he's had a great season uh, up until now. So he, you know, obviously disappointed not to win in that match, but uh, huge congrats to him for getting to the final. And also, he's another guy who uh, he's going to be pushing those uh, top two or three guys uh, for a run at that number one ranking. It should be interesting. I know uh, at the beginning of the season, I thought uh, that Ali and uh, Farag and Mohamed El Shabagi were going to run away with it, but now there's turned uh, definitely turned out to be quite a few players uh, out there that will be. Um, uh, vying for that number one spot in the ranking, including uh, Marwan uh, El Sherbagi, who uh, took out his brother uh, in the quarterfinal uh, in this event, in the World uh, Championship event. So, uh, at any rate, uh, again, congratulations uh, to Tarek Momin for winning his first World uh, Championship and um, also to Paul Cole for getting to the final. Now, uh, today on episode 113, uh, we have uh, Danny Lee, 
And uh, the next pro event coming up is the Channel Das uh, Open at St. George's. And Danny Lee's been the head pro there for 30-plus years. And we get to talking quite a bit about uh, his squash background. I mean, probably quite a few of you based out of uh, the U.K. know Danny. But uh, for others who don't, this will be a great uh, you know, great introduction, a great backstory uh, uh, about Danny's uh, squash career. Obviously, he's the uh, the head pro at St. George's, which is the uh, the host of the Channel Bass event. Danny uh, runs that event, and he has since uh, 2015, I believe. And he's had several uh, very good players come out of St. George's during his time as a pro there, including... Um, Right now, these days, uh, Tom Richards uh, and Danny's two sons, uh, Joe and Charlie, as well as uh, young and upcoming uh, female on, on the ladies' tour, uh, Jasmine uh, Hutton. Uh, now, we're going to talk quite a bit about uh, Danny's <coughs> uh, head pro job there at St. George's, also with Channel Bass uh, coming up. Uh, next week we're going to get into that quite a bit uh, as it turned out I get a uh, Tarek uh, moment he's the defending champion so uh, perhaps he had some uh, maybe he knew uh, he had a good shot at winning the world title because he did not uh, enter this year's channel vast maybe he saw you know he might need a bit of time to celebrate uh, the world open uh, victory um, but at any rate at any rate uh, quite a few of the top players are playing in that event and we'll be talking about that as well. Danny had a bit of a, a pro career, you know, he he's understated in, in the way that he describes his uh, his game at that time, but he was a top 30 player in the world and he's played uh, against the likes of Jan Khan, Chris Dittmar, uh, the con both cons, uh, Jahangir Khan and all the top guys at that time. Uh, interestingly, um, I think uh, one thing we talk about is the, the one of the rackets that he used at the time, I believe he called it the shark, and it was the pioneer of the uh, non-wooden large head graphite rackets, and I think he was like maybe the first player to ever want, use one of these on the Pro Tour, and it caused a bit of a stir at the time, and uh, he talks uh, a bit about that and a bit about other things in terms of life uh, on tour for him back in the mid-'80s. We also talk about Channel Bassett, as I mentioned, and uh, he's also involved in the PSL. He's the manager of the St. George's PSL team, and they managed a victory uh, in 2018, and that happened to be, uh, that was something that was very special uh, for Danny. He takes uh, a lot of pride in in the St. George's and the PSL team that they put together, so we talk a, a bit about that. And finally, uh, before we sign off, I I, I would have been remiss not to ask him about uh, the Danny Lee band. Uh, he's the front man. Uh, uh, you know, the name uh, speaks for itself there. Uh, he's the front man for that band. And he talks about his music and his passion for music and, the, and how much fun it is for him to be the lead man, the front man for, for his own band. So uh, I really enjoyed this chat with Danny. I know you will. Uh, here it is, episode 113. Uh, leading up to the Channel Vass event, with, which uh, starts uh, this week with Danny Lee. Welcome to uh, episode 113, and uh, finally we, we managed to get this done. I've got uh, the head squash pro at St. George's Hill uh, for the past 30 years. Uh, he's the event organizer for the, for the Channel uh, Vass uh, PSA Tour event, which uh, 
kicked off in 2015 and it's upcoming in two weeks. He's the team manager for St. George's Hills PSL team. And uh, he's also the front man for the Danny Lee band. Danny, great to, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Jerry. Great to be here. Yeah, that's great. And uh, how, how's, uh, how are the lessons going this, uh, this week? Full slate of uh, lessons, keeping yourself uh, busy and uh, spreading the word of this great game? Well, as you said, I've been at St. George's Hill 31 years it is now. 31. Um, and we've built the squash up quite nicely. Uh, so I do probably about 15 hours a week coaching myself plus a lot of admin and management. And I have three people that help me with the coaching. Um, Alex Couch, Dominique Lloyd-Walter and Steve Meads. So all very accomplished uh, yeah. pros, plus a load of, load of our former juniors that we've had qualified who can always fill in and do the odd lesson from time to time. So uh, yeah, it's full on. We're always producing a few kids. Um, it goes in cycles. <laughs> you get one good one and then you end up having quite a lot at one time, um, all playing tournaments, and then you have a little lull and it builds up again. Yeah, my very right uh, over the years. My brief foray onto the pro uh, squash circuit, uh, I played in the Singapore Open a few, well, back in the early or mid 90s. And uh, Stephen Meads happened, I think he got to the final or may have won. I think he lost to Paul Price in the final of that, that event. All oh, right, yeah. Well, yeah, Meadsy was a very accomplished player. Got to number eleven yeah. in the world. Yeah, it's always difficult for the top boys on a on an off day, but uh, continued to win tournaments in England into his forties and that. So, very very good player. Very solid player. Yeah, good bloke to have. Good bloke to have around as well. Definitely, yeah, no doubt. Now, uh, I just want to uh, get a little, give a little backstory. I mean, for me, uh, and well, I guess for. For people in the UK, they probably know quite a bit about you. But for those of us uh, outside the UK, uh, we may have gotten to know you. I think when Channel Bass uh, became uh, one of the the, the big uh, events on tour. Uh, but your squash career started uh, uh, obviously uh, as a professional player back in the the uh, mid mid eighties, uh, early eighties, and you played in, during the era of the Jancher and probably more so Jahangir at that time. So they were great years for squash. Uh, uh, what about for you? How how were those years and for you as a pro? And what do you remember uh, about that time? Well, it was a very exciting time for me. I I was formerly a tennis player, and Surrey County junior player played in national tennis tournaments and did okay but then somehow got involved in squash I always enjoyed squash over the years having been started off with my dad um, then we were lucky enough to have courts at school where I could practice um, somehow got into the Surrey squad and I went on from there um, gradually improving but not particularly cultured player, but I think the tennis stood me in good stead. I was always a good volleyer. You could take it early. And, um, yeah, so uh, then got on, kind of always wanted to be a pro. I was lucky to get hits with Hidi Jahan, um, who was fairly local to me and always very encouraging. And people like Gamal Awad. And we had a good set of juniors, um, aspiring professionals, if you like, in Surrey too. Jamie Hickox, Nigel Styles. Mm. Um, Greg Pearman, um, people. Jimmy like Hickox uh, spent some time in my part of the world in Canada. 
yeah, well, he was my uh, one of my best friends around the area, and we did a bit of training together, but we were always close and roomed together and uh, travelled together mm. on the on the tour in the early days. Um, just to add that I moved to Nottingham, which was the centre of squash. I don't quite know why why I moved there. A very uh, <laughs> uh, persuasive guy phoned me up and said, pretty much said, why don't you move to Nottingham? And uh, ended up sharing with Chris Dittmar, who a lot of you may know, yeah. and Jason Nicole in a in a rather squalid flat. But uh, the memories are fantastic of those times. We had a great time there. And of course, I played with uh, Gawain Bryars, Glenn Brumby, Chris Dittmar and many, many others at the Nottingham Club. And it still continues to be a bit of a hub of squash, certainly at university level. Um, and that was a part, very important part of the formative years of my game. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, I mean, it sounds like uh, great times, great memories, uh, lots of great players that you were uh, able to, to learn from and play against. Uh, you, did, uh, you did play... Uh, against uh, Jahangir and Janshir, didn't you? Did you not? Yeah, yeah. Well, two. Uh, I played Jahangir four times um, in professional career. The first time was at Wembley in the British Open under twenty threes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, which is again full uh, full house down at Wembley on the old squash centre, uh, which had a a big court that held about 250 people, maybe 300, because they used to hang around the sides. Um, didn't didn't get very far, but it was it was a real experience. Um, and I played him again in the Pakistan um, Open out in Pakistan. And I think the president of Pakistan, ZRL Hack, was watching that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played him in the the French Open, where I surprised him with my. Uh, my funny shaped racket. I don't know if you know about that, which is called the shark. Um, no, no. And I Tell, what, 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 what was, well. uh, what, what was the deal with the, uh, the shark? The shark was an interesting racket. It was a carbon fiber racket ahead of its time with a larger stringing area ahead of its time. Um, high quality dampening core. What else did it have? And it had a slightly tilted up head, squarish <laughs> head, which uh, yeah, yeah. was a, a bit of a gimmick. It was meant to be a lazy man, so you don't have to cock your wrist. Racket, uh, dare I say, <laughs> a bit of gamesmanship uh, there before uh, before the match against Jahangir. Well, <laughs> I don't know. He just looked at it. He just looked at it and laughed. But I got more points than anyone else in the tournament. So okay, yeah, well, something worked. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe yeah, that the, was yeah. uh, you were laying the groundwork there for what we're using today. Eh? Well, they changed the rules of squash because of that racket. In fact, they made the uh, the the length was then standardised, but the strings they decided the heads could be as big as they like, uh-huh. um, yeah. because obviously too big would be, you know, there's an optimal size. But it, it was quite an, uh, a groundbreaking racket. It also had very good strings ahead of its time. So several things about it were better than the rackets of the day, not saying the shape necessarily was, but you could hit a mean, uh, mean cross court Nick. And uh, <laughs> I sometimes used to bring it out at nine or nine all in the fifth. Okay. If Adrian <laughs> Davis, if Adrian Davis is lift, listening, he's still fuming. <laughs> <laughs> one, one defeat inflicted on it. So the, the, that was the, the shark was the, uh, the brand of the of racket, yeah it? it was just a, an english guy who made it but it, it it probably received more coverage than any other bit of squash uh, 
uh, equipment ever. You know, it was in the Observer newspaper. It was on a couple of TV shows, including a famous one called Tomorrow's World. Um, People were interested in it worldwide. And unfortunately, it was one of those where the inventor was actually ahead of his time. He produced the prototypes in really high quality materials. And when it went to the bigger companies like the Dunlops and that, Slazengers, who wanted to take it on, the prototypes they came up with were worse than what we had and heavier. So one of the the key things, this guy made it very light and uh, a bit like the rackets we have today in that that respect. Um, So yeah, that was unfortunate. So it kind of petered out, but the, (laughs) which was a bit of a shame because I think squash rackets haven't really changed much in the last, 20 years so they could probably do with some reverend revolutionary shape or design that could mm. kick them on again yeah yeah you never know something's uh due to happen uh one of these days well they i mean i and uh what's it i i think i is coming up with a lot of uh new sort of um ra- not rackets but they're coming with with the new shoes and new apparel but uh yeah racket seems to have uh Nothing much has happened over the last few years. Uh, well, probably where can you go? Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe a return of the shark. Maybe with my <laughs> new sponsor, yeah. Stella, yeah. Mike, we might do that. Yeah, but see if you look him up and see if he's still around and uh, yeah, tell, tell him we need, we need something new. New and exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. it certainly hit the front page. <laughs> so that that petered out. You, you could have the, you could have all the guys uh, for P, in the PSL uh, team using it. <laughs> Can you see Mohammed with the shark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you've been uh, the as we said the head squash pro at St George's for for the past uh, thirty years, uh, thirty one years. You mentioned uh, now these days pros tend to move around a fair bit, especially uh, overseas and. Uh, they bring their their trade overseas, but you've stayed at St. George's for 30 years. So, what is it uh, exactly that that's kept you at St. George's? What's the beauty of, of that uh, of that venue, in, in your estimation? Well, well, it's a wonderful club. It's a, ten, a tennis club foremost, but um, it's got four great squash courts. It's always had a, a healthy squash section. Um, I think the other reason why I um, stayed there initially was my son Joe was born 30 years ago and it was just about the time when the offers were coming in to go and coach in the states and go and coach abroad so I was somebody who didn't kind of follow the coach drain that we've had in England and I was very lucky that St George's is one of only about three or four clubs in the UK to pay a decent amount for its uh, (laughs) squash professional so uh, that was one of the things that uh, kept me in England and indeed at the club but it's always been a nice environment to work and I coached a bit of tennis there as well over the years so uh, yeah. always had an enjoyable time and I think the job's ve- um, changed as well over the years as I said mm. it, initially it was quite small mainly coaching a little bit of playing a bit of PR now it's a, quite a, a management role um, getting sponsors, uh, organizing tournaments, managing teams, making sure the leagues are done, even though I don't do them personally myself at the moment, but, um, supplying the coaches, you know, all that sort of thing. So is the game, I mean, in your estimation, I guess, has, has the game grown uh, at St. George's over, over that time? I mean, you always hear about 
the squash not having grown, but uh, do you do you see it differently? It's, oh, it's definitely grown, and the participation's grown within the the number of members at St George's, and there's a lot of people trying the game. I think the problem is nationwide. It's it has gone down partly because of the coach drain, partly because the commercial commercial clubs have never wanted to pay professionals what they're worth. So um, there, are, I think where you've got a pro in a centre who um, is doing a good job and marketing the game and promoting the game and coaching, having a junior programme and all that sort of thing, I think squash will grow. Mm. But the trouble is courts have been cut in certain areas. So you've got these pockets where the game has grown or uh, steadied. And I think it places all the main, 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 many of the team players in Surrey and that they all know what's going on on the pro tour, which is because partly because of squash TV and squash site and all these mediums, they can keep in touch with the game on. And I think, uh, yeah, it's grown in certain pockets and it's tailed off in other places. And I think mm. that's a crying shame really. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, just looking at uh, St. George's, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, you've got, you've assembled quite a, a, a very good team of, uh, guys who've played the game at a high level and, and obviously they have a passion for coaching. Uh, I guess what you're saying is that that could be a, a recipe for success for uh, at clubs that, uh, that may be looking uh, to promote the game more. Yeah, but it's a bit, it's a bit of luck. I mean, we, we've been very lucky to have um, uh, at coming out of our sort of academy, if you like, Tom Richards, mm. Joe Lee, Alex Ingham, Charles Sharps, Nick Hopcroft, Charlie Lee, you know, all these people have played Harriet Ingham. They've all played like England Junior International and then gone, several of them have gone on to be uh, professionals. I think the club have supported us probably PSL-wise and things like that and the local sponsors because we've always had local players in the team. You know, we had right. two two local, two complete local players on Tuesday playing PSL, Joe, Joe Lee and Tom Richards and um, a couple of others, Jazz Hutton who and uh, Tori Malik both played, and they're they're only a few miles down the road, if you like. So uh, and then, and Jazz Hutton's very involved with us now as well. Um, so uh, I think uh, I think that's one of the reasons that they've supported us so much, and the sponsors have stayed involved because we've used our local players. We obviously then had big players come in, but. Um, Shabaggy's been very loyal to our team. Borja mm. has been very loyal over the years. Carlos Cornes and all these, Henrik Mustan, and they, they come and play for us and then they stay, which is fantastic. We really, really appreciate that service. So we must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, uh, now, as I mentioned earlier, you personally, you came to my attention. I remember watching uh, Channel Bass. I, I, I'm not sure how many years ago, three, four years ago. And uh, you were the guy doing the, you were the public address announcer, I guess, uh, for the event and interviewing the players uh, after matches. That's how I got to know who you were. And then eventually That's I figured right. out that, uh, yeah, you were the head pro there. And, and as we just talked about, um, now Channel Bass, it's just around the corner. Uh, you're the event organizer. Uh, um, and uh, so how, just wondering, how did, uh, in the beginning, how, how did the event uh, uh, get off the ground. I think it started in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, we had a, a a guy, a member called Basim Hidea, Hidea, um who um, was playing with our other pro, Alex Couch, and 
I literally went up and asked him <laughs> if he could yeah. help or in any way run a, run a tournament. And he said yes. And as long as all the proceeds go to Click Sergeant, the wonderful charity that supports children with uh, cancers, children and their families. So um, we went went ahead and we ran a small tournament as an experiment, smallish, still mm-hmm. 25,000. And then after that, Basim said, that was great, but how can we get the top players? So I said, well, you know, maybe sponsor them and uh, tense the relationship with Marwan and Mohammed and Channel Vass and then uh, put a bit more money in and I guarantee you a certain amount of the, the top 10 and it just went from there. And it's, it's, uh, it's great to have that sort of tournament in the club setting where you've got so many of the world's top 10 playing in. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, you had, a, I think you had a year off last year, but you're thankfully you're back uh, this year. So what? Uh, there, uh, what? No year off. No year off. No. Did was there an event last year? Yeah. Okay. So Tarek. Tarek. Um, Tarek, Tarek moment. Won. Okay. I thought for yeah, some reason maybe, maybe the dates changed or something. Well, we we changed it by a month or so because of the okay. the World Open this year and the World Teams and. Right. I think there was a bit of juggling with Hong Kong, Hong Kong, which unfortunately didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad. Great Especially for the women, uh, because they don't play now until uh, 2020, I think. <laughs> no, no, that's a, <laughs> that's a shame. But it's good yeah. to see the women's tour is generally getting stronger and um, better, better supported and everything, which is fantastic. Yeah, so uh, obviously you've got a star-studded uh, draw with, uh, you know, Mohamed Al-Shabagi, Kareem, my, my personal favorite, uh, Kareem Abdul-Gawad, I love watching him play, and uh, Paul Cole, obviously. Uh, Tarek Moman's the defending champ, but he's not, uh, not there this year. But regardless, you must be happy with the draw in spite of uh, Tarek's uh, absence this year. Yeah, every, every year I've been... Mighty happy with the draw. We got, we've always got great players. It, it just at that level, you you always get fantastic matches. The, the events grown crowd wise, and um, we have kind of noisy, appreciative crowds, mm. mostly from the Surrey area. But we've got people coming from Norway, Spain, all over the place to come and watch. So, uh, really, really impressed. And I think we've sold many more tickets this year. So, oh, that's great. More money for the charity. That's great. Brilliant news. <laughs> Well, you've got, I mean, you mentioned the crowds and obviously, and we talked about it just a, a few minutes ago, you mentioned the, the local interest. You've got uh, your son, Joe. Uh, I think Charlie played a few years ago. I, don't, I didn't see his name in the draw, but uh, uh, Tom Richards is playing. Uh, obviously, you've got uh, Mohamed El-Sherbagi. Uh, so with, with the local interest, I, I'm guessing uh, the crowds will be extremely uh, uh, fired up. To see to see those guys play, especially uh, yeah, a guy like Joe and Tom Tom, who've played at St George's since they were kids, right? Yeah, the locals always always like watching them, and Tom's a player who's grown in stature over the years, and fantastic achievement to reach number twelve in the world. But then probably an equal achievement was when he fell down towards forty in the world, and then got his way back to twenty. So that's uh, he continues yeah. to play great squash in. This- even in his thirties, um, uh, which is <laughs> a lot of people are doing that now, as we know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joe's come back. Joe's back from uh, two and a half years out. I mean, and to play to the level he's actually just starting to play at again uh, is incredible. Having had all that time out uh, with a terrible disc injury, 
Oh um, no! Okay. Just when he was playing the best best squash of his career a couple of years ago. So, uh, and yeah, how's that? He, he's fully good. he's fully recovered then and ready to to get back at it, is he? Yeah, I think yeah, it's take, took, taken a while. He must have knocked his uh, confidence, you know. Um, mm. But gradually, he's built built it all up. Um, a bit like with people like Andy Murray in tennis, Chris Simpson in squash, they, and James Wilstrop, they come back from these operations, and it can't prove it can be done. Uh, it's it's really hard work though, psychologically. But, um, I think they they like the lifestyle. They they want to get back in it and see if they can have another go. And it's fantastic that uh, he, from personal point of view, it's fantastic that he's back. <laughs> I know yeah. he's highly rated by the top players. Let's hope he can. Um, Muck it with him again. <laughs> does he uh, does he take after you uh, on court? Does he or does he have his uh, off, have his own uh, brand of uh, brand of Lee squash? Um, well, he's a very different player. He was much more kind of frenetic. I probably played a little bit <laughs> <Yeah>. more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a sort of cross between Joe and Tom Richards, but uh, in terms of I, I I definitely took the ball earlier than Joe. But he's a very neat, accurate much more technically accomplished player right. than I was. but uh, And he's worked really hard on getting that movement and that technique so good. Um, you know, that's an advantage that people have got now. They have exposure to so many uh, good coaches and uh, coaching resources, yeah. Yeah, yeah the coaching <laughs> resources now are incredible. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's akin to sort of what you can do on YouTube with, with your golf game. You can go on there and find anything. And pr- pretty much I mean, pretty, now, pretty yeah. much can, pretty much can do it with your squash now as well, can't you? Yeah. But I, I didn't know, you know. The, the, there's a lot more knowledgeable people in the game, technically and tactically. But at the end of the day, you've still got to get get out there and, and win, and that's the tough bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, now speaking of um, St George's, uh, the PSL team that you've managed to uh, assemble there uh, has done. I mean, recently they they've recently won, but uh, you guys. Uh, yourself won a uh, a national team title in 1986, I think, uh, but it took you a few, a few times for for uh, St. George's to win one, but you did in 2018. So uh, I think that, uh, judging by the the pictures I saw of the uh, the, the match and and, and the, the celebrations, you were very uh, very happy uh, uh, to to accomplish that for St. George's. So what did it mean? Uh, to you to win the PSL title after having won one as a player in 1986. Well, I knew how hard it was and how much the management put in at Cannons Club in the 80s when uh, we won it. And I knew the decisions, because I was captain of that team, I knew we had to make decisions, drop players on occasions, put put other ones in, make the right decision, won, won it by a couple of points in the end. In those days, it was... Uh, Who was on your team uh, back then? Uh, Ross Norman, yeah, uh, myself, Johnny Leslie, Jamie Hickox, uh, Nigel Styles, Paul Simmons. Later on, Neil Harvey, and Neil Harvey, Ian yeah, Robinson. No, I remember yeah, I, I've quite. had Neil on the podcast, and I remember him speaking of Cannons, and I think he maybe he was sponsored by them or or, or something along those lines, and uh, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Neil, I think that the year that um, we won it, I think Neil was having his, he was having a bit of a kind of lull and he was in Madrid for a while. Um, 
I'm not sure if he was in the team that won it, but he was cert- certainly involved. And we were we were good friends in the day, and we used to discuss coaching uh, stuff uh, when we both started coaching, and uh, sometimes brought players to each other for coaching back in the days when he had his Chingford squad, right? Or Connaught squad, or yeah, that's correct. Right. So winning, so winning that title in in, in uh, 2018. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm being a bit of a politician. I didn't answer your question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so used to it with these British, uh, British politicians. I gotta be. I have to be persistent, uh, being the, the 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 so-called journalist that I am. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. It, no, it, it meant a huge, a huge lot. I got distracted there talking about yeah. Neil and that. But we, um, yeah, we uh, put put a lot into that and. Again, getting the team out every week or every time you have a match is is a difficult thing to make happen. And uh, but luckily, I said, as I said before, the support we've had from the players and the guys has been amazing. We had a great crowd. We were lucky to have a home final, and we we pipped the RAC, which was great. Yeah, and and the the crowds that you get, I know I, I speak to a lot. I've had British uh, a lot quite a few British uh, players on, on the podcast, UK players that play in the PSL. Uh, and they, they always speak about uh, how electrifying and how, how electric the atmosphere is at these uh, PSL matches. Um, what's it like there at St. George's? Well, I think, I don't know if you know, but St. George's Hill is quite a um, uh, high-end estate in Surrey. And the, the members as a whole compared with some squash communities are quite reserved with their uh, support. They, they support more in a kind of quiet old school way. I wish sometimes they get a bit louder, but it was amazing when we won the, won the event of some of those people just kind of really let go and <laughs> whooped it up a bit. They're great supporters. It's just that we haven't got the same kind of vociferous supporters. As is it is it an some, older older crowd? Is it uh, for the most part, or not necessarily? I don't, uh, it's just slightly like slightly more reserved crowd than I've known over over the years. It's, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, we've had I've had some pretty wild crowds over the years in uh, places where I've played and other places where I've I've watched. So I'm sometimes trying to whoop the crowd up a bit at St George's but as I said they're a great bunch and they tremendously supportive and uh, quite oh. quite numerous and in the in the final against the like against the RAC and other finals we've had other big semis and stuff like that the crowd have been absolutely fantastic and yeah they have got noisy for those and and how do things uh, bode for uh, for this year I mean you've got Mohammed back you've got uh, your son Joe there uh, Tom Richards is playing Jasmine uh, Joel King I think is also on the team you've got a fairly strong looking team but some of the other teams look quite strong too yeah we had a, we've had a disastrous start this year we've lost the first two matches but I think we've done that before and still come back I mean a lot of work to do Mohammed's playing the next certainly the next couple and um, Joel's playing as one of them I think so um Hopefully we're back back in the fray at Christmas and then. Is it one of these things like where play? they? Is it one of these cases like sometimes they they play they'll they'll, they'll play in a, in a PSL event the the top players and sometimes they don't. Maybe the teams lost a few, then they feel maybe they've got to take part a little bit more. Or? 
Yeah, I think they have to PS. I think they have to prioritize their PSA careers. And I think I was yeah. talking to Paul Cole about it the other day, saying no is one of the hardest things, and it's uh, one of the hardest lessons to learn. But saying no sometimes is very important. And I don't think they can all play in every match. I mean, I think as a manager, you have to accept that. But um, obviously, we do everything we can to try and try and encourage them to play, and they have they have a certain loyalty to the team, even the even the, the really top guys who haven't been involved that long, I think, uh, have been very impressed. And that's one of the reasons we've selected the people to play for our team that we have over the years. Yeah. So, I mean, when um, you've got a guy yeah. like uh, like Nick Matthew, though, you've, I mean, he's still obviously playing at a very high level and not even, uh, yeah. I mean, he's not playing any PSA squash. So when you go up against someone like him, it's got to be, uh, got to be tricky, isn't I would imagine. Absolutely. Well, he, he hasn't lost a lot. And if that's, the, that's his biggest, that, suddenly the PSL becomes his biggest match. Um, whereas for <laughs> yeah. the so, so that's the important thing. So you get a jaded top 15 player coming along to Nottingham and Nick's, Nick's there. Chomping, chomping at the bit. bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Licking absolutely. his chops. <laughs> like a good wolf. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah, he, he certainly does that, but, Nick, I've been really impressed with Nick and what he's put into the, the game and all he's oh, achieved. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, done, I mean, he came yeah. down came down to Weybridge as a 12-year-old, not to play with, uh, to stay and play with a guy that I was coaching, a guy called John McGuffey. And he's, uh, he was a, a good 12, 12, 13-year-old, but not quite as exceptional as he became. And uh, you know, hats off to him and what he's, what he's achieved, yeah. 100%. Um, now, uh, Danny, before uh, before we sign off, I'd be remiss if I did not uh, ask you about the, the Danny Lee band. Uh, no, I, I was watching. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Uh, you got a serious set of pipes on you. I'm really impressed. I uh, watched, uh, I think it's called the Running Down the Road uh, video. on. Uh, it's up there on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, and you've, uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure what you – I couldn't really identify your – musical influences just based on the one tune. But uh, first of all, um, I think you, you play gigs on the weekends and stuff like that. And um, do you play mostly yeah, the, original stuff or do you play covers? Uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, about the band. Well, we do a few different types of, of gig. Um, I'm very lucky to have had a, a band where we've never, never had any arguments. We've never chucked any tellies out of hotel rooms. We've, We've we've got a we've got a very yeah. <laughs> very sound sane band. Not like with, not uh, like the Sex Pistols then. No, we're probably the antithesis of the Sex Pistols. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, apart from the fact that some of them are still going, but we're we're still yeah. going. Anyway, we're a great a great band. Our our um, lead guitarist is a guy called Nelson Porter, who's a vicar. I I like it because it's great antidote oh, cool. to the squash mm. and they're, they're not an overly sporty lot but they've got great sense of humor um yeah we i write uh, songs and that was the reason i got to get a band together in the first place um been doing it for about 20 20 years now uh, it's hard for any songwriter nowadays to get um sales if you like in the early days i sold a lot of cds and now people don't really want CDs, so they just sort of listen for free on Spotify and stuff like that. And, uh, but it's it's still good to get the songs out there. We do pub gigs where I can play plenty of originals. 
and loads of covers as well. And then the better paid function gigs, and which I'm grateful a lot of squash and tennis clubs have booked us over the years for their uh, mm. dinner dances and their balls and things like that. And then we mainly we would play covers, upbeat dance covers. Sometimes yeah. in the pubs we'll play more kind of culty sort of not dancey stuff which people want to hear you know pink floyd and stuff like that which is yeah, yeah. good fun as well so if we can play different different styles and we do a few festivals and outdoor gigs in the summer which is great fun are you uh, going to take advantage of the uh the psa uh, squash tv uh, footage and get out there in between games or during during break uh. <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's the good <laughs> I think that's the good thing with having the kids on the PSA tour. And they'd kill me if I did. Okay. <laughs> They'll probably yeah. never speak to me again. So. Yeah, yeah. It won't happen. No, there won't no. be any. If, if, if Robert Owens are uh, listening, there won't be any David Brent moments. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, well, Danny, I just want to say uh, thanks so much for, for doing this. And uh, you got Channel Vast coming up. Uh, wish you all the best with that. I know it's going to be a great event. I'm, uh, everybody's looking forward to it. Uh, Mohammed El Shabagi, number one seed, seeded second, Kareem Abdul Gawad. So, I mean, if those two get to the final, uh, or, or even Paul Cole, um, it's going to be uh, going to be a great event. So, good luck with that. Thanks ever so much, Jerry. And uh, people can still get tickets for the early rounds. I think. Yeah, for sure. Where can where out. can they get tickets, uh, Dan? Uh, it's ticket Ticketmaster UK is the uh, um, the site. So if anybody's around and wants a ticket, it's going to be brilliant squash on the Tuesday. I think it's only fifteen pounds to attend Tuesday the nineteenth. Prices go up a bit on the twentieth and twenty first, but there's seats left on those days. So uh, you mentioned uh, proceeds go go to where do the proceeds uh, go again? Um, you mentioned it's called Click Click Sergeant. Um, it's a charity based out of the Royal Marsden Hospital at Sutton. And they help families and children who are suffering from cancer, mm, both okay. psychologically and uh, medically. Well, definitely a worthy cause uh, and a great squash to watch. So uh, anyone who's out there, get some tickets uh, to Channel Vass. Uh, Danny, thanks so much for doing this and uh, I'd love to do it again uh, some point down the road. Thanks so much, Jerry, and you have a great podcast. I enjoy listening to them when I get time, so uh, all the best to you too. Well, thanks again to Danny Lee for that. Uh, really looking forward to the Channel Vass uh, event, which is upcoming. Uh, the draw is stacked. Uh, some great players, some good, uh, and St. George's uh, interest in there as well. It should be interesting. Danny's got a really good hold on that event. Uh, the last few years have been fantastic, and this year should be no exception. So uh, looking forward to Channel Vass coming up, and thanks again uh, to Danny for taking the time to speak uh, with me on the podcast uh, this week. And uh, just before we go, uh, I just want to send my, my deepest condolences to Ali Farag and, and Noor Al-Tayeb uh, for the loss of their nephew, uh, he's got, obviously the family is going through a very, very difficult time and I just want to extend, uh, them, uh, my deepest condolences, uh, for that loss. Uh, so, um, you know, thoughts and prayers to Ali, uh, and his family. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Episode, uh, 113, uh, with Danny Lee. Take care and have a great day. Goodbye now.